This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Hornets head coach James Borrego in 15 minutes. Pro Football Talks Mike Florio. He likes stirring the pot a little bit. And he did so this morning with a report where he said there's growing buzz that Deshaun Watson might be asking the Texans for a trade. He might want out of Houston considering the candidates they've been considering to replace Bill O'Brien. They just hired Nick Casario to be their general manager. Remember last year Bill O'Brien was both the head coach and general manager even though they interviewed Casario at about this time last year and decided just to move forward with Bill O'Brien anyway. Well, since that report, John McClain, really not the guy from Die Hard, but the Houston Chronicle reporter, which if you've ever seen John McClain with the Chronicle, it's visually funny to compare the two side by side. He put out a report saying the Texans, under no circumstances, will trade Deshaun Watson. Even if he asks for a trade, he's not going anywhere. McLean adding, the Texans aren't foolish enough to trade Watson. They're not going to trade him. He's their guy. That's why they signed him to a massive contract. But if he did ask for a trade, let's play in hypothetical land for a second here. Have we ever seen that in the NFL? Have we ever seen... A player that's as big as Deshaun Watson is right now. Established in the league, playing a position of value at quarterback, forcing a team's hand. We've seen in other sports the tentacles of the NBA's player empowerment movement creep in where guys realize what their worth is and they talk about branding and they're all following LeBron's footsteps when that night he decided in... Connecticut to take his talents to South Beach. It's It's been a very interesting decade in the NBA, but that hasn't really seeped into the NFL. I think for a few reasons. Number one, there aren't as many impactful players in the NFL as there are the NBA. Here's what I mean by impactful players. Guys that singularly will change a team if they go. There's nobody in the NFL really, that has the value that LeBron James brings to a city. Not even Patrick Mahomes. But if there's anybody that's close, it would be the quarterback. So we've seen Le'Veon Bell ask for a trade and essentially force his way out of Pittsburgh. Antonio Brown doing something similar when he had his interesting summer. I think that was the summer of 2018 or the summer of 2019, excuse me. But never with the quarterback. You've had guys before they've been established. Eli Manning demanding that the Chargers trade the pick and they traded it to the Giants in 04. John Elway infamously saying he'd play for the Yankees, he'd play baseball, rather than play for the Baltimore Colts who traded the pick to the Broncos. But those guys were not established in the sport at that point. The only examples at quarterback you'd see were barely qualifying for the player empowerment period. It was Jay Cutler when Josh McDaniels first arrived in Denver saying he wanted out and he got traded to the Bears. It was Carson Palmer saying he wanted out, would never play another snap for the Cincinnati Bengals, him getting traded to the Oakland Raiders. That was probably in 2011. Those are the only examples you can bring up. None reach the level of power of Deshaun Watson. So if Watson tried to pull a Kawhi Leonard or tried to pull, let's say, an Anthony Davis with the Pelicans and he said, I'm not going to play another snap for Houston. I want to go. I want to go somewhere else. you got to trade me. That would be NFL history. He signed a long-term contract last year. Houston feels like they have some power in this situation, and they do. I was listening to Florio on with DP earlier today. And he thinks it's because Eric Bieniemy hasn't been interviewed for the job that Watson's having issues. 
Joe Brady gets the interview from Carolina. I haven't seen the full list that Houston's considered, but the Texans, one of the few teams that haven't reached out to Eric Bieniemy, according to reports. That surprised some people. It seems that Deshaun, because of his ties with similar quarterback coaches as Patrick Mahomes, has heard so much about what Eric Bieniemy's done in Kansas City that he wants that guy to be the coach. And I can understand being cynical when you think this guy is a tremendous head coaching candidate and he doesn't even get an interview. And on top of that, Bill O'Brien, when you think about him, Robert, you think about New England background, right? Uh, I don't know. I think he kind of washed that away now. I just think about terrible trades and yeah. how he mismanaged the Texans. But when he took the Texans' job, he was a New England guy. He was an offensive coordinator for Bill, a quarterback's coach for Bill. He came from the Patriots organization. And I think a lot of the way Bill O'Brien acted, which was rigid, which was closed off, I think those are things he got from Bill. It was seen to be, air quote, the Patriot way to do so. So wouldn't it make you more skeptical if you let go of Bill O'Brien and the person you bring in is a longtime talent evaluator from New England? Nick Casario, that's the guy you're wanting to bring in? It's not a shot to Casario, but I could see why Watson might be skeptical. If he asked for a trade, it would be historic. Carolina, if they put together a package of McCaffrey and let's say for argument's sake, two first-round picks, who says no? 336-777-1600. This is hypothetical land again. Watson, according to Florio's, unhappy. Teams are sensing that. If Carolina is going to do its due diligence and call up Dwayne Haskins' agent to see what's going on there, you got to think they're calling up the Texans as well to see what's going on. Hey, can we do a Herschel Walker-like hall exchange here to try and bring in our quarterback, to bring in Deshaun? Christian McCaffrey, two first-rounders. Who says no? 336 777 one six hundred is the phone number. James Borrego going to join us in less than ten minutes. Every week we do weekly positivity, Robert. I think now is a perfect time to knock that out with everything we've seen in the news the last few days. It's been a bummer. It's been depressing to follow. So let's give people reason to smile for the first time in twenty twenty one. It's weekly positivity. Oh, yeah. 336-777-1600 if you want to tell us something good that's happening with you. Hello, Robert. What's up, dude? What was it that BDOT said I had to do in Weekly Positivity today? Uh, say something nice about somebody. Oh, Kentucky. You got to say something nice about Kentucky. Say something nice about Kentucky. I'm not going to call them Kenyucky. Not going to do that right here. Here's what I'll say about Kentucky. That's nice. Their football program's underrated. Good win against NC State last weekend. Good players in the pros. I like watching Randall Cobb, who I don't know is in the league anymore. I don't know if he is or not. Benny Snell. He hasn't played well with the Steelers, but I loved watching him at Kentucky. And Devontae Adams, is he the best wide receiver in the league right now? I see some people actually saying that. Are you asking me, or are you just... Oh, I'm asking you. My favorite person, Robert, you. Uh, yeah. I'd put Devontae as the best wide receiver right now. It's kind of surprising. I didn't expect that from him, just watching him when he was coming into the league. Does Joey and Thomasville want to tell us something good? No, he has something hateful. Yeah, he wants to get in here. It's weekly positivity. Okay. I didn't know if it was the McCaffrey deal he wanted to talk about. My hypothetical land deal. Hey, Joey. Hello. Of course. It's a beautiful night. It's getting chilly. The snow is on the way. I'm so looking forward to putting a log on the fireplace. 
and having me a nice hot toddy and relaxing with a cool blanket wrapped up in. And the other thing I'm positive of, I'm positive the Washington football team will beat Tampa Bay on Saturday night. Thank you for this time. Thank you, Joey. That is Joey in Thomasville. Sounds like he's embraced this bit. 336-777-1600. I have another thing that's pretty good, if you'd like to hear it. I woke up this morning a minute before my clock was set to go off. A minute before my alarm was set to go, Robert. That's when I woke up. That is a great feeling, isn't it? I love it. Are we going to go to the phones again, or are we going to go to you, Robert? You got John and Winston here. Oh, we can knock out John and Winston real quick. John, tell me something good. John, this is Weekly Positivity. Yeah, you wanted to say something nice about Kentucky. I did. Their football program's pretty good. For all your horse owners out there, uh, you could probably get better dental care for your horse in the state of Kentucky than you could for a human. Wow, that is positive. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate that. Don't mention it. And that... Oh, do you want to throw in something good real quick, Robert? No, no, that was enough for me. Joey and John, that was great. And that's been Weekly Positivity. Makes me feel good every single time. Every single time. Like watching the Hornets win last night against the Hawks. So live from New Orleans... Hornets coach James Borrego will join the show. Next. This is just crazy talk. So just listen. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. You can listen to Hornets basketball right here on Sports Hub Tryin. Last night, it was a win against the Atlanta Hawks. Tomorrow night, a nationally televised game as LaMelo Ball is going to be going up against his brother Lonzo. It's going to be the first time the Hornets face Zion Williamson because last year they didn't face uh, the, the Pelicans when Zion was healthy. It was really early on in the year. So we'll talk about that matchup in a bit as we're now being joined by the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets here in the triad. It's James Borrego back on the show with us. Before we look ahead, Coach, I'd imagine when you sign Gordon Hayward, it's nights like last night where he goes for a career-high 44 you envisioned with him in a Hornets uniform, right? Absolutely. That's why That's why he's here. You know, he's special, and last night obviously was a special night. And He's, uh, you know, he's a big-time player. He's a winner. He was aggressive last night. We need that aggression from him every night. Uh, I don't know if we'll get 40 every night, but... Um, you know, I loved his, his approach last night and that's why he's here. And he closed for us, you know, big shots in the fourth quarter. Um, obviously to, to put us over the hump last night, but uh, I was really proud of his effort, even in the first quarter, you know, how he came out, how he set the tone for us early on the road in a game we needed last night. I remember last year, early on in the season, even when a few guys in the starting lineup were struggling, you committed to keeping that lineup together because... You know, when fans think about what should happen, they see guys perform well off the bench. They 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 think about okay, that person needs to go in the starting lineup and have a different role. But your argument against it was, hey, everybody's role is different, and if you tinker with it a bit, you might not get the same production. You might not get the same chemistry. Is that the same thing you're looking at now when Devonte Graham struggles a little bit shooting the ball over the last five? and LaMelo Ball's playing well over the last, and pretty much the same stretch, LaMelo's playing pretty well. Is it about chemistry? Is it about staying committed to a lineup that you had already set? That's right. I mean, for me, you know, you got to give, you got to let these lineups play out a little bit. You got to let guys um, gain some rhythm together. You know, give it a a longer sample run. I don't want to be one of these coaches that, you know, every couple of games I'm tinkering, I'm changing. It's hard to build rhythm and chemistry. Uh, I like our bench group. 
Obviously, Lamelo's played well off the bench. Uh, there could be a time in the near future where he he takes a starting role, um, and that day will come. But we're not there at this at this moment. You know, I want to see these these guys continue to grow and develop. And uh, yeah, Devonte obviously he's had his shooting um, struggles early, but I believe that that'll that'll turn. And I think the last couple of games we've seen that. Um, he's shooting the ball better, not not exactly where we expect uh, him to to finish. But um, yeah, I think that I have to, as the head coach of this team, remain patient uh, while still maintaining, you know, um, keeping some perspective on uh, the group as a whole. And maybe there are adjustments to make to the lineup and some tweaks I can make. And and we did that last night. Just because we start a certain way doesn't mean I'm going to play. Uh, that the starting group the entire game you know there's different combinations throughout a game last night you saw um, a different rotation the way we closed we played smaller yeah I uh, played the three the three guards together right last night it was mellow it was Tay it was Jim together with Gordon out there so I've made a number of tink you know tinkerings along the way uh, with the lineup uh, and the starters I'll just continue to evaluate over the next couple of games I want to give it a 10 game sample see where we're at from there, and then adjust accordingly. James Borrego with us, Hornets head coach on Sports Hub Triad. I remember we were talking about, trying to think of the exact context we were talking about things, but, oh, it was in, with Devontae Graham, the importance of your program and the importance of the Greensboro Swarm, in his case, him developing into the player he turned out to be a year ago. I use that to look at how it might be different for LaMelo Ball, who was drafted in the top five, of course. Given that he's 19, he didn't get summer league, and right now, at least for right now, you don't have G League to potentially give him some some reps, get him some run in a more controlled setting before throwing him out on the NBA court. Do you feel like it's your responsibility to be more careful in how you bring along LaMelo? I do feel responsible, you know, for that, and it's different. This is, uh, you know, a different path than, let's say, Devontae's. You know, when we brought Devontae in, um, we had a guy named Kemba Walker and a, and a backup named Tony Parker. You know, two <laughs> very good point guards. Yeah, I've heard of and, them. And, uh, you know, those are those are pretty good players. So, Devontae was not going to get a ton of opportunity here, as far as the, you know, at the NBA level, uh, for him to gain reps which I believe in, you have to gain reps to, to grow in this league, whether it's NBA reps or G League reps. And I like them both. They're different, but I, I like them both. And for us, it just fit better that Devontae, with the with those two guys, um, needed some time in the G League to grow and develop. And we wanted to watch him, and he gained confidence there. He took what he was learning in, in Charlotte, and he applied that in, in Greensboro. And we saw the effects of that in year two. And... Lamelo's a little different. You know, this is our third pick. Um, you know, we have Devontae there, but there's nobody else, you know, in that mix with him at that at that point guard position. So he needs to play, you know. But where I feel a little uneasy for him, and it's unfortunate that we didn't have a summer league for a young fellow like this. He, he needed some, you know, summer league reps to get his, his feet wet, to learn the NBA, um, to learn his teammates, for us to learn him. And he just didn't have that. We're learning on the fly. He's been thrown into the fire, and we're going to learn. We're going to grow. And there's going to be you know pains along the way. There's going to be highs along the way. But the kid is picking this thing up. And obviously we're watching a ton of film, and we did again today. Um, there's there's things out there that he has to grow, you know, grow into. But I'm seeing the... I'm seeing the curiosity. I'm seeing the coachability, the eagerness to get it right. And I can live with that. And that's the beauty of this kid. He wants to get better. He wants to be great. And he does it in a very humble, um, very honest way. And I love the kid. I just love his spirit, his coachability. And, um, you know, I feel like every game he's just getting better and better. How many rookies have you seen in this league have the vision and the passing ability LaMelo has? Boy, this is rare. This, at this, you know, it's hard to find a comp for, for LaMelo, 
you know, it, it's hard to go back a ways to, to figure this out. I know some people said Jason Kidd, you know, they're, I get a little bit of that, um, but he's just very unique. He, he is very unique. I was fortunate to be around a Hall of Fame uh, point guard in Tony Parker for, you know, 10-plus years, and it took Tony a while to figure this out. He did not have the passing ability or court sense uh, that LaMelo has, especially at this age. You know, it took Tony Parker years and film and study LaMelo has it now. Now, he, he's a little wild at times, and I, you know, I, I got to tame the stallion a little bit because he goes overboard at times and he's trying to make the home run play at times. And I've got to figure that out with him. I got, I got to let him run a little bit. And because that is, that is what makes him special. Um, but it's hard to find that, you know, especially as a, as a 19 year old uh, who's just coming to the NBA. Does his style of play make others around him more creative, make other guys around them maybe even try some things that they otherwise wouldn't. I look at the play last night where I see the ball in the air <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, it's LaMelo throwing it to Miles Bridges when in reality it was the other <laughs> way around. He's rubbing off on our guys. He is. For the good or the for the good or the bad, I don't know, but um I, I love it. I mean our guys it is infectious is what I you know I say a lot with him. He's very infectious. Guys want to make plays, um, maybe try to hit the home run too much when we just need to hit some singles and doubles. I think LaMelo's trying to, you know, he's hitting, trying to hit a few more home runs, and the guys around him are trying to do the same thing. But I, I do sense that a little bit. It's a, it's a great question and because um, I do sense our guys trying to, you know, push the pace a little bit more, kick it ahead a little bit more, uh, find the home run pass. But um, he's just an infectious kid overall. Just his personality uh, in the locker room, on the court, in huddles. Um, and it's a, it's a very positive thing for our program. Live from New Orleans, it's James Borrego, Hornets coach, with us on Sports Hub Giant. Let's talk about the guy you're going to be facing for the first time, Zion Williamson. I, I covered his season at Duke, saw him play at least a dozen times, and he just did something every single game that I'm like, I can't believe what I just saw a guy that size do, and infectious is a word Coach K used quite a bit when describing Zion that year. As you watch tape and you get ready for it, what's the first thing that sticks out to you? What's your impression of his game? Powerful. Um, He's just so powerful. You know, um, it's hard to put one body on him. He can make things happen uh, in an instant. You know, that, that quick bounce, that second bounce, you think you're in great position with him, and you're not. You try to take away his left hand, and you can't. And even when he misses it, you're still at his mercy. And so the biggest thing for us is just to get back, set our defense, put multiple bodies around him, make it tough on him, show him a crowd. Um, but he's, he, you know, very much like, you know, LaMelo, uh, they're unique players, and he's a special player for a reason, and he's just – Straight, uh, you know, great power with touch, with feel. Um, I think it's great for you know, for our league that we have a young young man like this who can do so much. Now tomorrow, uh, hopefully, you know, we don't see his best, but um, he is a special player. It is great storyline. It's a great storyline to follow. We look forward yeah. to hearing the game right here on Sports Up Giant. It's going to be on ESPN. You got Lamelo going up against Lonzo, his brother, and. Of course, as you describe it, a couple of unique players, Zion and LaMelo, you don't see guys quite like them that often. James Borrego, last thing for you, Hornets head coach joining us here. I had it bookmarked to ask you this question because in the bubble, we saw coaches wearing polos, and I know you were jealous of it. It was going to be comfortable. And this year, coaches all across the spectrum, they're wearing polos instead of suits. I even heard Mike Bray say, I'm never going back. Never going back to the suits. We need to figure it out with polos. How much more comfortable is James Borrego now coaching on the sidelines than he was wearing the suits all these years? I love it. I love it. I'm a new man. We cannot go back. I'm with Mike on that. I think we. this is here to stay. Um, it fits, too. It just fits. We're, we're out there with these, these guys, and you know we're, we're in huddles and timeouts and 
moving up and down the floor. I think it fits. I think it looks great. Um, I'm much more comfortable. Uh, hopefully it makes me a little bit better of a coach, but uh, uh, I'm 100% behind it. Mike Bray, though, went a step further. He wore shorts on the sideline. Is that a bridge wow. too far for James wow. Borrego? Shorts. I'll take shorts, Summer League in Las Vegas. How about that? Summer League, Las Vegas, I'm good with shorts. <laughs> Sounds great. James Borrego, uh, congrats on the win last night, and we look forward to watching tomorrow. Uh, I, I, you you actually coached in New Orleans, so you know the takeout spots, right? Like if you need – you can't go to spots. restaurants. Where are you getting takeout yeah, tonight? Right, but I might go with Mandina's tonight, Mandina's or Drago's. So um, we'll see who could get it here quicker. That's what I like to hear. All right, Coach, enjoy that. Thanks for the visit. We'll talk soon. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. There you go. That's James Borrego, Hornets coach. The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Welcome into a Thursday drive. The Carolina Panthers have interviewed five more general manager candidates. The latest on that search can wait. Because last night in the ACC, Duke survived a scare at Cameron to beat Boston College by a point, while Wake Forest was the one doing the scaring in Charlottesville. However, they just couldn't keep it up in the second half. John Shire, as you may know, filled in for Coach K, who was quarantining after a COVID exposure last week. And Shire looked the part. Drew up a play for Wendell Moore, who finally got out of his early season slump, hit a baseline jumper, And it had me thinking about a topic that we generally hit once or twice in a year when the opportunity presents itself. It's the most common question I think we've asked in sports radio over the last decade. Who is the front runner right now to replace Coach K? Who's the front runner to be his successor at Duke when Coach K decides to hang it up? It's a question I presented on social media. And it seems like to me John Shire is a name that's being discussed because he's the top assistant right now. He's the one that's on the bench last night. So you can kind of imagine what that might look like in a post-Coach K college basketball world. Jeff Capel, he got a big win at Syracuse yesterday for his pit basketball program. I put both those names in a poll and other And it's been tightly contested all day on social media, and you can vote on that poll on my Twitter page, at Josh Graham Radio. Who do you think is going to be the successor at Duke? 37% say other, 33% say Shire, and 30% say Coach Capel. I'd probably reverse that if I'm asked the question. My name's on the show, so I'll give you my opinion here. Jeff Capel checks the most boxes for Duke Hoops. I think head coach experience is going to be a prerequisite for the job. Shire, he's going to be a hot name all throughout the next offseason, I got a feeling. When you're in that program and you see the success of coaches who have come out of it under Coach K and learning what he's done, it's impossible to think he's not going to be one of the first two or three names considered when jobs come open. And it just doesn't make sense for a program of that magnitude to take a risk, take so much of a risk, and put someone in that chair who hasn't already experienced on a full-year basis what it's like to be a head coach. And when it comes to Capel, he's had not one, but not two, but three head coaching jobs to tell us about. And he's not coaching in bogus conferences. He's coaching at VCU 20 years ago. He spent four years there. He went to the Big 12. He spent five years at Oklahoma. He's now at Pittsburgh coaching in the Atlantic Coast Conference, and his winning percentage is over 50%. In fact, it's close to 60%, the exact number at 59 and change. It wouldn't make any sense to hire outside the Duke family either, I don't think. Sorry to Brad Stevens, whose name's always going to get thrown around. North Carolina, I feel kind of the same way about. Maybe not with the Brotherhood or the Duke family or whatever you want to call it and the Carolina family in Chapel Hill, but 
whoever's going to take these jobs, Duke and North Carolina, replacing Roy, replacing K. Those are the type of programs that never come open, those jobs. They're going to have head coaching experience, I feel like. On the Duke Brotherhood front, so many options. Tommy Amaker, Quinn Schneider in the NBA. You look at Johnny Dawkins at UCF, Wojciechowski, Chris Collins. The list goes on and on. Jeff Capel, he played at Duke. He's the one that hit that 40-foot runner against Carolina in 95 when Kay's back went out. Duke ended up losing the game, but it still seemed to be one of the best shots in the history of the rivalry. Coach K tapped Capel to be his top assistant for most of the last decade. When you look at the type of players Duke brought in in the one-and-done era, Capel isn't talked about nearly enough, I don't feel like, in bringing in that type of talent. He was the point man to try and land a Zion Williamson. Angelia Locafor and Tyus Jones. You fill in the blank. Capel played an essential role in doing so. That's a guy moving forward you probably want to have in that chair at Duke. Plus, he's already a leader in college basketball. He might be the head coach at Pitt, and that might not mean as much as being at a blue blood, but when it comes to social issues, take yesterday, for example. What's happening in this country? He has no issue talking about it, and people listen. What's happened in this country over the summer with the protests in the wake of George Floyd's murder? Jeff Capel was an essential voice, a primary voice in the sport. NCAA issues, criticizing the lack of leadership in college basketball on the NCAA front. Capel has really taken that baton and moved forward. Coach K's even listened to what Capel has had to say. Last month, when I asked Coach K in that press conference about Capel's comments, that's the part that's forgotten, that Coach K was responding to something that Capel had said first when I asked Coach, and Coach got a lot of the criticism. Coach K did. Something that hasn't been lost on Jeff Capel's mind. This was him earlier today on the Adam Gold Show talking about Coach K having his back there, but also Coach reaching out to him before his comments, reaching out to Capel to tell him that he's 100% right and wanted to follow in his footsteps. He and I talked the night before Illinois, and he called me about my statements and said, like, look, you're 100% right, everything you said. And then he said, you know, I can't say anything because if I say something, I'll get killed. And he was like, look, I want us to win tomorrow, especially, you know, just for us. Right. Like I, you know, we need to win. But if we do, I'd love to be able to say something. You know, if we lose, I can't because people will say, well, you're just saying it because you don't want to play. So he knew what was going to happen. Yep. But to my understanding, the only reason he said something is that he was asked the question about my statement. That's exactly right. Robert Walsh is the producer of this show, taking your calls at 777-1600 on Twitter at Sports Hub Triad. Good afternoon, Robert. What's going on, man? Jeff Capel? Somebody who might lead where Coach K might follow in some circumstances. I don't know. He might be a professional Hulk Hogan impersonator. I thought that was Terry Bollea talking on the other end of the horn. Does he sound like Terry Bollea? Yeah, I mean... Uh... I've heard him talk. He's a lot more subdued as Terry Bollea than you would be if you're Hulk Hogan, the character. Yeah, Let me hear sure. that again. Yeah, listen to this while I pull up some uh, Hulk. He and I talked the night before Illinois, and right. he called me about my statements and said, like, look, you're 100% right. I can hear that. I can hear it. I'm expecting him to say, Syracuse didn't know what was coming, brother. <laughs> this is probably, It sounds like more about Hulk talking about his son or Brooke or something. Uh, here's Hogan, comparatively. A lot of people, including people that work with Vince, think I should have stayed there my whole life. Wow! He and I talked the night before Illinois. I hear it! They sound exactly the same, at least to me. Next time we talk to Jeff, we'll have to bring that up. Robert always having interesting perspective on things. As for when Coach K is going to hang it up, I've stopped guessing on that for years. You might think, Coach K, 73, it might happen soon, but then again... 
why would he pass up the opportunity to coach his grandson, Michael Savarino, who's on the roster with four more years of eligibility? He's a walk-on. He's not a guy who's going to be leaving early. Really, it's five more years for him, isn't it? This year of eligibility doesn't count, so he could coach. If he wants to finish out his grandson's eligibility at Duke, it sounds like he's got about this year and four more to go beyond that. I don't know if he's going to coach until he's 78 years old. So I'm done guessing. But right now, I'd probably say Jeff Capel, the front runner as of right now, to succeed Coach K. Let's get to Duke. So we heard comments from Jeff Capel, who got the big road win yesterday at Syracuse. John Shire, Wendell Moore had the shot drawn up for him, hit the shot to put away Boston College. The Deeks lost to Virginia after a really good start. This was Coach Forbes not making any excuses. Uh, I don't believe in moral victories, and you got to play two halves to win a game, especially against a team like Virginia. I thought we really played as well as we could play in the first half um, on both offense and defense. Uh, I thought big change from – the game Sunday at Georgia Tech on offense is we, we moved the ball and shared the ball. We spent a lot of time on that last 48 hours of uh, sharing the ball. And when you do that, we have good enough shooters to make shots, and we did that in the first half. They did it in the first half. They weren't able to do it in the second half. Shaking up the starting lineup a little bit to have two players who hadn't seen the pack line defense at all, I thought it was a really positive sign for Wake. Coach Forbes can't say this because he's not the guy to make excuses or to say there are moral victories you can draw. But the Deeks were not afraid of this Virginia defense in that packed line. Four guys altogether hadn't seen it, and they jumped out to a 12-point lead. They were blasting Virginia from the start, leading at halftime, and that's a really positive sign after how bad the Deeks looked in the first half at Georgia Tech on Sunday. Carter Witt, who... Adam Gold calls Spicoli, Spicoli from uh, Fast Times at Richmond High. Kind of looks like that. Surfer dude. He got his first career start last night. Carter should be a senior in high school right now. 10th ranked point guard according to 24-7 Sports' rankings. That's the ninth ranked, uh, ninth highest ranked Wake player in the 24-7 era. And he looked like he belonged on the floor. Didn't have a great game. Couple turnovers, couple assists. Didn't hit any of his two field goals. But he played over 20 minutes against the Virginia Cavaliers. You can't tell me that's a bad thing looking forward. This season, I'm trying to figure out the best way to communicate how I view this season in the context of Wake. I think it feels a lot like a walkthrough for next season. That's what this season feels like for Wake. In that this year doesn't count against eligibility. The Deeks, they've already lost a couple of key players. They lost a month in development. Nobody had any real expectations for them going into the year. So get these young guys ready. There might be no fans at JPJ or at Cameron, a place that Steve Forbes has never coached before but will Saturday at noon. But you can kind of go through the motions and say, hey, envision what you're going to be as a sophomore. Envision what you're going to be like as a junior playing in this place when it's packed full of people. This is an opportunity. These are opportunities to put building blocks down so that when that moment comes in the future, you're playing a full 40 minutes rather than just 20 like Wake Forest played last night. Steve Forbes, head coach of the Deeks, is going to join us on tomorrow's show. We'll talk to Chip Patterson in a little over 15 minutes. He is a master, uh, a massive Hornets fan, uh, somebody who covers college football and college basketball about as well as anybody, too, for CBS Sports. will join us in a little over 15 minutes. But as I mentioned, the Panthers, they have interviewed five more general manager candidates. That puts the number at 11. We'll get to that latest update, and I'll tell you who stands out to me as the best fit for the Panthers next on The Drive. No mercy, no pity, no fear. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham.
Mock drafts are fun. Todd McShay dropped one of those. I think it's his first of 2021 earlier today, and I've got some thoughts on his projection for the Panthers that I'll get to in about 15 minutes because we're now being joined by CBS Sports host and writer by day, massive Hornets fan by night, Chip Patterson, with us here on Sports Hub Triant. Chip, I wanted to start with your reaction to something Dan Patrick reported earlier today, and that is that Ohio State's COVID situation hasn't gotten better. In fact, it's gotten worse, according to DP. And the Big Ten's pushing to postpone the national title game for one week. Should, from the CFP's perspective solely, should the COVID threshold be different for the national title game? What warrants postponing that be different than, say, a regular season game in the Big Ten or any other conference? The Big Ten has different thresholds and standards than the SEC does. Of course. The Ohio State players are undergoing a different testing protocol leading into the game than Alabama's players are. The the sort of last window for when we are concerned about player availability issues, I think, so 72 hours out, like Alabama will be taking, doing some of its final testing soon. Ohio State, I believe, will be testing all the way up until game day on Monday. So it's it's already we're playing with different sets of rules. And so the college football playoff very much and is, I think, uh, happy to let uh, all these teams, you know, just you're in communication with each other. You've signed off that you're okay going by your standard. I'm okay going by my standard. Um, the thing that you're sort of hinting at, though, is, you know, is the college football playoff better served from having a game in which there are not player availability? Yeah, talking about the I, integrity of the game. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. It's it's a really tough spot. We had this conversation on the Cover 3 podcast earlier today when we were doing our championship game preview. Then first there was Danny Cannell who offered the, like, player and competitor perspective where it's like man if it's going to be like the title like I I don't want to have any uh, excuses I want to be able to know that I got Ohio State's best and then Tom Fernelli he offered the college football fan and he said you know as a college football fan I want to see Alabama and Ohio State at their strongest and then I said okay well me as somebody who's been covering the sport I'm ready for this Frankenstein season to end and I hope it ends on on January 11th so let's just get this thing done Whoever can play, let's play on January 11th. And in all seriousness, the thing that's interesting, and I know Dan Patrick's reporting goes in line with a lot of what we've seen also from AL.com and then some of the elaborate the elaboration on the issue from uh, Yahoo Sports and Pete Thamel. The Big Ten seems to be on the side of wanting to postpone. Everything we've heard from Ohio State says let's play. It is Chip Patterson, CBS Sports, with us here. It is an entertaining podcast as well that he has with Fornelli, with Cannell, uh, Barton as well. Cover 3 podcast, you can find that. Uh, And I'll offer an extra opinion. You brought up all those different perspectives. As a fan of The Bachelor, maybe not have it Monday. Maybe you could just have it Tuesday. Just a quick thought on that there with former Wake receiver Matt James, the star of this season. Last night, we watched John Shire on the Duke bench surviving a game against Boston College, and it had me thinking about a question I get asked probably more than any question when I do radio shows as a guest, not a host. How long is Coach K going to last at Duke? But more importantly, who are the guys that might be front runners to potentially replace him? John Shire, he looked the part, but he doesn't have any head coaching experience. Uh, You look at Jeff Capel, he's been around. That sticks out as well when you have these types of conversations. Who do you view as the front runner right now, if you had to guess, to succeed Coach K in Durham? I don't have a good idea of true front runner because the ultimately there there are like power dynamics that I'm never gonna know and personal dynamics that I'm never gonna know. And I'm never gonna know is, is because they're not just uh among coaches or even with the athletic director, but also with you know, university officials and some of the uh, people that are going to be tapped, not necessarily to make the decision, but as a sounding board for the future of Duke basketball. Um, 
you know, I don't think that it's a, first of all, how long is it going to be? I don't know. I don't think it's particularly soon, but, you know, Mike Krzyzewski, as long as he's feeling healthy enough to do it, I, I think that um, he's going to like, he's going to want to be out there competing. I've, I've got no idea on what that timetable looks like. And that's interesting because truly it might be a roll of the dice based on the timing, based on uh, where uh, Chris Collins is, and what's going on with his career at that time, where Steve Wojciechowski is, what's going on with his career at that time. And you mentioned Jeff Capel. If, if the move needed to be made soon uh, or in the next year or two, I think that Jeff Capel has shown the ability uh, to like land in a spot where there was so much hurt from the Kevin Stallings era and very, very quickly raise the floor. I don't think we've gotten to the point where we can say that uh, the Pitt basketball program under Jeff Capel, whether we've seen the the ceiling take a big jump, but just being there and being really good at understanding uh, a culture, an organization, the kinds of players that you need, being able to go get it done on the recruiting trail, a player like Xavier Johnson. uh, There have been some – Justin Champagny is another one that comes to mind. You, you can look at that Pitt basketball team both in terms of the talent and both in terms of its competitiveness against really good ACC teams, and it, I attribute a lot of that to Jeff Capel. And so I think to be doing that in the ACC, to have an immediate impact on a program, if you're allowing me to be one of those sounding boards, then I would tell Kevin White, I think you should hire Jeff Capel. I think that Jeff Capel uh, should be the next head coach at Duke after Mike Krzyzewski. Jeff Capel, really good road win last night against Syracuse. Chip Patterson with us here, CBS Sports. All right, Alapizia here. Hornets, we hope to catch up with uh, James Borrego today. LaMelo Ball is a guy we've talked about for a while. Has he exceeded your early expectations? I would say he's met expectations, and some of that is not about the – you know, some some of it's not necessarily even about the production or even about you know his impact on the win loss record, but I, I did think that you know he was going to be able to generate interest in, in a unique way, and that is number one um, because of being Lamelo Ball, someone who is already a, a figure in the basketball culture many years before he was drafted by the Hornets. But number two is with his style of play, it's electric, it's fun. He's, uh, he, he creates highlights that work very well in an NBA that loves to have shareable moments, uh, little clips, things that are awesome that you want to watch again and again and again. Uh, send them to your friends. Throw them on the group chat. Put it on Facebook. Put it on Twitter. Well, the ball highlights are really, really good for that. They, it, is, it is good hashtag content uh, with LaMelo Ball involved. And what do we have? I mean, aren't uh, Hornets going to be on ESPN tomorrow night? Against Zion and yeah, company. Yeah, you don't you, – yeah, I don't know if you get that. Uh, I don't know if you get that without Lamelo Ball. Okay, Chip Patterson, it's good to hear from you. Hope you had a nice New Year. Enjoy the football next week and the basketball leading up to it. Uh, appreciate the time as always. Sounds good. Y'all be well. And you as well. That's Chip Patterson joining us from CBS Sports. Robert, I feel like we're burying the lead talking about sports today when there's just the obvious thing to talk about where and this this news it's just it's making people pick sides and it's really upsetting and it's something I can't believe we haven't gotten to yet that Kim Kardashian and uh, Kanye West are looking at a divorce they're discussing a divorce right now it's the obvious topic I'm sorry we've buried the lead with all this sports talk but I just can't ignore it any longer, Robert. How are you doing right now? I'm good. Uh, if that's what they need to do to live healthy and happy lives. It looks like they're doing it the right way, though. They kind of wanted to keep it quiet and not have a huge, messy thing about it. They the spent kids. millions on each other for Christmas, I read. TMZ reported that. Yeah, that's a drop in the pan. You can still buy people Christmas presents if you're getting divorced. I'm sure they'll still be friends. We'll see. Is this going to be the conscious uncoupling that Gwyneth Paltrow started with the lead singer of Coldplay, Chris Martin? Like, who's going to be the go-to power couple in America now? Who is it? 
Who's going to take the reins from Kimye? Is it going to be Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds? Jay-Z and Beyonce? Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendez? Uh, who's the two people in The Voice? It's probably them. Oh, you're talking about Blake and Gwen Stefani? There you go. That's a really good example. You know, that's a really good one because I was watching Bill Maher talk about that. They are on complete different sides of the political spectrum, and they're married because guess what? Who's talking politics all the time? How are you talking politics with a wife like that? Or a husband like that? Blake's hot too. Good point. How about John Legend and Chrissy Teigen? No. You're out on that? I'm I'm out on both of them. A-Rod and J-Lo? Uh, yeah. I'm starting to feel better about this upsetting news. Starting to feel better because there are other power couples out there. Mila and Ashton? That's good. Ashton's not really in the light like that anymore, but I, I don't hate that one. He's not in two and a half men anymore? That's not a thing any longer? Uh, I don't think so. Now he's working on his app. and uh, Oh, he has that show on Netflix that I never watched and people keep telling me I need to watch. The Ranch? It's not bad. It's actually pretty good as far as Netflix sitcoms go. Getting this one on Twitter. Keith Urban and Nicole Kidman? Hmm? 336-777-1600 if you want in on today's show. What else am I getting here? Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick are together? I didn't even know that. And I'd like to think I'm pretty plugged in here. As I mentioned, 777-1600 if you want in on today's show. And however and wherever you're listening, we appreciate you being with us today. Robert, where am I going to here? Uh, there's no phones, but okay. uh, I have some more power couples. I don't know how Kim and Kanye were at the top when we've always had Jay-Z and Beyonce. I feel like that's the number one power couple. Okay, that's number one. You put that over... Everybody. Uh, everybody. Everybody besides maybe a Obamas. I would put and Barack and uh, Michelle up there, too. Barack and Michelle. Not Trump and Melania. We're not doing that. Okay. How about we push this thing along here? Or Will and Jada. They got Oh. Last year, didn't it knock them down a peg? I mean, that was them Will working. Will Smith became a meme. That was them working through their, their problems. If they, if they weren't a power couple, they would have divorced and broke up. Yeah. Draft guru Todd McShay put out a mock draft today. I'll tell you what that projection was for Carolina and uh, why it doesn't make any sense to me. Next.